today we get to look at what we believe about the Bible. Uh, This is really as foundational as it gets because ultimately everything in this statement of faith is what? Is backed up by Scripture. At the end of each of our paragraphs, there's going to be a bunch of verses there. There's been a bunch of verses that we've journeyed through together through this series. Everything we believe comes from the Word of God. Uh, this is the foundation for all of it. And so we believe here at City Church in the Bible. We believe that the Bible is true, that it's accurate, that it's applicable, that it's relevant today just as much as it was 2,000 years ago. And so today we're going to read our paragraph from our statement of faith just as we've been doing over the last six weeks. And then we're going to pull out today. It's a little simpler. There's only four statements we'll pull from our statement of faith on the Word of God. And then I want to get real practical. And I'm going to give you seven tips on reading the Bible. Um, Everybody in this room probably knows we're supposed to read the Bible. Everyone in this room probably has read the Bible to some degree at some point, and yet for many of us, it's still a struggle, right? For, for many of us, it can be a challenge. So we're just going to get real practical, real nitty-gritty, and do seven practical tips on reading the Word of God. So let's begin with our statement of faith, and we'll progress from there. Uh, number seven about the Bible, what we believe. We believe the Bible is God's Word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living because it is inspired by God. It is the truth without any mixture or error containing the answer for every need and situation of life. And there's a number of verse references there. We're going to hit, I think, four out of those six this morning. You can obviously go back and study the rest of those. The Bible says a whole lot more about itself. One thing I wanted to get into today, but we're just not going to have time to do, is probably my favorite thing to teach on about the Bible is what does the Bible compare itself to? Uh, the, the Bible uses a number of illustrations about the Bible. It talks about how the Word of God is like a sword, uh, how the Word of God is like bread, how the Word of God is like a mirror, the Word of God is like a lamp, the Word of God is like a hammer, the Word of God is like a rock. There's a lot of metaphors for Scripture in Scripture uh, that, that I think are a lot of fun to dig into. Uh, the Bible says a lot about itself. It has to, to build our faith, our trust in the Word of God. So let's journey together through these four sentences in our statement of faith this morning. The first one is this, the Bible is God's word to us. And when we say us, we, we have two applications of that. One of those is universal to mankind. The Bible is God's word to people to tell people about himself. But most of the Bible was written specifically to Christians, to the church, or at least most of the New Testament was. So when we say to us, man, we believe that this is, this is for us. Man, that this is applicable for us. Yes, we need to share it with the world. Yes, we need to share it with the lost. But man, we are the keepers of the word. We are the people entrusted with the word of God. God has entrusted us with the words of life itself. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, extremely famously, says that all scripture, front to back, Genesis to Revelation, Leviticus, Lamentations, the minor prophets you can't pronounce, right? Like all scripture is God-breathed. Love that phrase, God-breathed. God, 
He breathed it out. It's from his mouth. It's from him. And, and when we open scripture, what happens is God breathes on us. Man, when we study this thing, we open this, we, we receive the very breath of God. He's breathing life into us. He's breathing encouragement to us. He's breathing, it says here, teaching into us, rebuking into us. How many know sometimes we need to be rebuked? Nobody likes being rebuked. Nobody looks forward to getting rebuked. But, man, sometimes we need our butt kicked. In fact, one big part of my testimony, uh, when I was in eighth grade, I got far from God. I started doing some really, really foolish stuff, and I literally got my butt kicked. I got jumped on the way home from school, and it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Like, literally, that was a turning point in my life. Man, that was a rebuke. That was ultimately what I think happened is, is God just kind of took his hands off of it and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you eat the fruit of your decisions. I'm going to let you see where your lifestyle is leading and let you decide if this is really the life that you want. And all it took was one time getting my butt kicked to say, you know what, that's not for me. Uh, so thankfully I was soft, I guess. Uh, and so it didn't take much uh, to get me back on track. But sometimes we need our butt kicked, don't we? Like so, sometimes, man, the word of God's going to rebuke us. It's going to confront us. I mean, you're going the wrong direction. And you're going on a path that leads to destruction. You're going to a place that's going to bring pain into your life or the lives of others. So sometimes the word of God has to rebuke us. So it's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuking. It's useful for correcting. You see, correcting is, is more gentle. I prefer correcting to rebuking, right? Correcting is kind of a, hey, you're, you're mostly on the right track, but why don't we, we redirect it just a little bit? Um, and training in righteousness. So all scripture, front to back, is breathed by God and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But there's not a period there. Usually we stop there. But verse 17 tells us why. It says, so that the servant of God, everybody say, that's me. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you are the servant of God. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why do we need the Bible? Because it's going to equip you. For the stuff God's called you to. For the stuff God's prepared for you. You know, the word tells us that he prepared good works in advance for you to do. Before you were ever born, before you were ever conceived, before you were ever thought of, God had a plan for you to accomplish good works. But how do we accomplish those good works? Through the training, the teaching, the correcting, and the rebuking that comes from the word of God. And it equips us for every good work. Amen? Amen? So we believe that the Bible is God's word to us, from him to us. Very simple, very plain, no revelation in that statement, right? We probably already understood that. We could conceive of that, but, but it's good to make it explicit. Secondly, the Bible was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where faith has to come in, right? Be because you'll meet the person who says, well, I mean, that was just written by people. That was just written by a bunch of dudes. That was, that was written by, by people a long time ago. How can you say that this thing is holy? How can you say that this thing is from God? How do you know your book is the book, right? And those are good questions and good things for us to wrestle with. I can tell you this, I have studied and searched and wrestled with it, and I have decided I'm leveraging my life on the statement that the Bible was written by human authors under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I believe it was from him. Man, I believe I have seen it work. I have seen it prove itself time and time and time again. 
It was written by human authors. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture... Now, when he talks about Scripture, he's specifically referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament didn't exist when Peter was writing. He was writing the New Testament. He didn't know he was. But God was using him. He says, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. This wasn't just a dude writing down some stuff that he felt like maybe was some good advice. None of it. He says, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. <clears throat> Excuse me. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, for me, if we reject the Bible, if we decide, hey, I'm going to pick and choose what pieces of this that I like, what pieces of this that I don't, if we decide that, man, there's some good stuff in here, there's some good teaching, but, man, it's not really the word of God, to me, Christianity falls apart. Right? For me, if I believe in Jesus, if I believe Jesus died for me, and I do, then I believe that that God could make sure that his word got to his people exactly what he wanted it to say. That he could actually use human beings to write down his perfect will. That's what I believe. So let's talk about the human authors for just a minute, just for some information, for some background. Anybody have any guesses how many people wrote the Bible? How many people did God use? This isn't like a trick question. It's just one. I'm looking for an actual number. Uh, how many people did God use to write the Bible? 200. Any other guesses? There's 66 books of the Bible. I'll go ahead and put that number out there for you. So here's what, and there, there's a little gray area here, and we'll dig into it. There's 35 known authors of Scripture. 35 that, that we can specifically name that the Bible tells us or these books teach us. 35 known authors of Scripture, plus there are unknown authors of one of the New Testament books, Hebrews, as well as nine of the Old Testament books. We don't know who wrote Joshua, who wrote Ruth, who wrote Judges. We don't know who wrote First and Second Samuel, which that was actually one book in the original writing. We don't know who wrote First and Second Kings. Again, one book in the original writing. We don't know who wrote Esther or Job. So the, the Old Testament books, they're, they're, they're old, right? <laughs> they go far back. There, there are a number of them. We don't actually know who actually wrote this down, who penned this, who put this to paper. Uh, but we trust, man, that these were God-breathed, that, that who wrote them is not the most important aspect of them. Uh, that God passed them down to us. So we know of 35 specific authors. Uh, there's probably around eight unknown authors of Scripture. There's probably right around 43. Now, it's possible some of those books we don't know about were penned by multiple people. It's possible some of those books we don't know who wrote them were, were written by the same person. So usually people answer right around 40, but the, the specific answer is right around 43 people were used to write down Scripture. Uh, question next is, which biblical author wrote the most words in the Bible, the largest percentage of the words in the Bible. So who, who is responsible for the biggest thick chunk of this? Any guesses? David? Good guess. Somebody said Luke. Somebody said Moses. Moses is the correct answer. Give it up for the pastor. He's paid to know this stuff, right? Uh, cheater. Uh, <laughs> Moses wrote 20% of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, or Matthew, Mark, that's the New Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law, 
That, that actually makes up 20% of the Bible. If you read your way through the first five books, you're 20% of the way through the Bible. Uh, and so Moses wrote more than anybody. So the next question is, who wrote the second biggest percentage? So we already heard David. We already heard Luke. I'll give you t- uh, an answer. Neither of those are the correct answer. Any other guesses? Paul? Paul's the one that I thought would be the most common answer. Paul wrote more books than anybody else, but his books are actually pretty short. Um, so he, he's actually way down the list of who wrote the most words. Any other guesses? Nobody's going to get this one. I wouldn't have got it either. It's actually Ezra. Ezra wrote the second most amount of words in Scripture. He wrote the book of Ezra, which he's named for, uh, as well as First and Second Chronicles, which are obviously long books, to get him to number two. I thought that was interesting. It doesn't really do anything. Like, I don't have any application uh, for you to do with that. I just thought as I was doing some research this week on the Word of God, that kind of stuck out to me as something I would have never guessed. Uh, and I've been studying the Bible for a long time. But Ezra is actually the second most prolific biblical writer. Now, uh, Moses, in addition to having written 20% of the Bible. He wrote, tied for the second most books in the Bible. We know the person who wrote the most books is Paul. Anybody guess who tied with Moses with five books? Real quiet. John, my beautiful wife. Good job, baby. Yes, John wrote five books of the New Testament. His are spread out. They're not in order. Uh, he wrote a book called John. A book called 1 John, a book called 2 John, a book called 3 John, uh, and a book called Revelation. So John has his name on more books than anybody in the Bible. Now, John didn't actually pick the titles, uh, so we can't pick on him too much. Uh, But John and Moses both wrote five books of the Bible. Moses gets the the tiebreaker on who wrote the second most books over John because Moses also wrote one psalm. Psalm 90 was written by Moses. Uh, So the book of Psalms is actually written by a a vast number of authors. We usually attribute it to David. David wrote somewhere between 73 and 85 Psalms, depending on which sources you trust. Um, But there are a number of listed authors for Psalms, and there are some Psalms that we don't know who wrote them, so it's possible there's more authors of Scripture listed there. So anyway, these are the human authors. We know a lot of things about the human authors, There's a lot that we don't know about the human authors of Scripture. Ultimately, the human authors aren't what matters the most. What matters the most is that the Holy Spirit led this and guided this. And so so let me talk about that real quick, too. When we talk about the Spirit inspiring Scripture, here's what we mean and what we don't mean. What I don't think happened is that the Holy Spirit literally spoke out loud and people transcribed what the Holy Spirit was saying. Right? I think the Holy Spirit moved upon people to write things down that he had placed in their heart. And they wrote it down, but they wrote it down in their personality, in their grammar. In fact, man, when you start, one of the reasons that, that critics will push against biblical authors and, and the idea that God wrote this is, well, man, they have, all have different styles. And, man, Paul's syntax is terrible, and he doesn't know how to use punctuation. And they got all these criticisms that, that to me, don't matter. Right? Like the same way when God uses you, he uses you in your style. 
and your personality and your giftings with your experience, right? Uh, and so God used these people. He didn't, man, grab their, their pen or grab their finger and write down every specific word, but he made sure that every word that made it in there was not contradictory to what he was trying to say. Does that make sense? So God inspired them to write, and he helped with the editing process to get anything out of there that didn't belong. It's one thing uh, we actually know there's a number of letters that Paul wrote that we didn't get passed down to us, uh, including the actual first letter to the Corinthians. And my theory on that is, man, there was maybe some stuff in there that was too much Paul and not enough Holy Spirit. Uh, and so, man, early in his ministry career, he, he wasn't hearing from God as directly and as clearly as he did later on. And so that didn't get passed to us as scripture. Uh, we only got the stuff that was from the Holy Spirit. All right, let's move forward. Thirdly, the Bible is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. It's the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. That book you have written by Billy Graham or Stephen Furtick or Lisa Turkist or, or insert your favorite Christian author here, man, I think those are good. I am grateful for, for biblical or for, for people who are Christians who are writing stuff down. I'm glad that we get a chance to read that. It gets to speak to us, but that stuff isn't scripture. Right? There, there, there's a different level. Man, the Bible is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. I don't care how much we look up to that particular minister, to that man or woman of God, that stuff that they wrote doesn't rise to that level. Here's something else that I'll hear thrown around sometimes that causes me to cringe so badly when I hear it is, is patriotic Americans will say stuff like, God inspired the Constitution. Uh, I am grateful for the U.S. Constitution. Uh, I think the Constitution is a really good document. It is not inspired by God. Man, if it's inspired by God, we're placing it at the level of Scripture. And we know there were some flaws in the Constitution, right? That's why the Constitution can be amended. There is no amendments to the Word of God, right? And it's a different thing. And so I'm, I'm not criticizing the people who made the Constitution, right? They were, they're fallen, broken people just like we are. Uh, but, but we're not going to place that on the same level with Scripture, we're not going to place anything that, that was written by a person outside of the 66 books in this Bible. We're not going to place that on the same level with Scripture. Amen? This thing is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. We'll go again to 2 Timothy 3.16 just to drive it back home. All Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. It's the supreme source. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, so that you can be built up, maybe thoroughly equipped for every good work, for everything God's called you to at your office, everything God's God called you to at your workplace, everything God's called you to in, in your marriage, coming up on XO Conference, right? Everything he's called you to as a parent, everything he's called you to in ministry, for every good work he has for you, he wants to build you up, equip you for that through his word. Number four, because the Bible is inspired by God, it is the truth without any mixture or error containing the answer for every need and situation 
in life. So it's not 98% the word of God and 2% some, some fallibility. It's not 95% scripture and 5% human, right? It is 100%, no mixture, no error, infallible word of God. Psalm 12, 6 puts it this way. It says, and the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Man, it, it's, it's stood the test of time. It's shown itself to be effective, to be true, to be powerful over and over again, down through the generations. The word of God is flawless. Psalm 119, 106 puts it this way. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. Right, is the ultimate source for us to guide our daily lives. Now notice this. It says that it's a lamp for your feet. We, we miss this because we don't live in a generation that walks a lot with lamps. Uh, it doesn't say it's a lamp for my eyes. It says it's a lamp for my feet. Why is that? Because people back when this was written 3,000 years ago, they would understand that. You, you, you would hold a lamp out in the pitch black dark, right? We don't even understand what pitch black dark is because we've got so much unnatural light at night, right? We, it's called light pollution. Uh, so so you, <laughs> you can only see like a small fraction of the stars that they could see back then. But when they went out in the dark, and it was dark, and they had a lamp, that lamp would just light up a circle around them of a couple of feet, depending on the lamp and how much fuel they used and that kind of thing, right? But, but roughly a couple of feet radius. And so it was a lamp literally for their feet. What did the lamp light up? The next step. The next step. See, most of the time, God isn't going to reveal to you the whole path. Most of the time, God isn't going to reveal the final destination. So often we wrestle with God, what is, what is my calling? God, what is my purpose in life? God, what do you want me to do? And most of the time, God doesn't answer with that. He's going to answer with a step. Now, sometimes he will give you the final destination. Man, I'm calling you to missions. I'm calling you to this ministry. I'm calling you to do this thing. But even when he calls you to that thing, he's not going to lay out the whole path. He's going to let you know the step. You see, God leads us in steps. And our job is to be faithful with the step. Because what happens when I take that step, now I can see the next step. Right, and that's the way that God leads. We don't like that because that's slow. We don't like it because it requires faith. God, I want to see everything in my path. I want to prepare for the trip. I want to know, man, do I need to wear shorts? Is it going to be hot? Do I need to bring an umbrella? Right, like I, I want to know everything that I need to be prepared for, and most of the time God doesn't tell us. But he's always faithful to give us a step. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light from my path. So we believe that God's word, number four, is inspired by God. It's the truth without any mixture or error, and it contains the answer for every need and situation of life. Now, when I say it contains the answer for every need and situation of life, here's what we mean by that. I don't mean that literally everything you face, like, hey, should I let my kid watch this specific show? Right? Should we let our child watch Turning Red? Open the Bible, and you're going to find the answer to whether your kids should watch that. It's not there, right? We've got to wrestle with those things. What is there? 
Well, James 1.5 says that if any of you lack wisdom, you can come to me and ask, and I'll give it generously without finding fault. So what is the answer? The answer is ask me, and I'm going to give you generous wisdom, right? Like, it doesn't mean that every explicit thing is there, but the way to unlock the answer to every specific thing is there. Does that make sense? Because that's why it's not just about the word. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. That's why God gives us, man, the the body of Christ. That's why he gives us godly relationships. He gives us leaders and and people who speak into our lives because he knows, man, if if this thing had to answer every single situation all of us would ever face, none of us would ever read it. You couldn't carry it, right? It would be so big you couldn't even fathom trying to dig through it. He didn't do that. He gave us something that contains every answer we need. Come to me and ask. Man, call to me. You who are weary and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. Right? Cast your cares on me, for I care for you. He gives us the answers, maybe not the specifics of how he's going to do it, but he shows us how to get to the place that we need to be. Does that make sense? Hopefully that does. All right. So I told you earlier, I want to give you seven practical tips for reading the Bible. Seven things that that I would recommend for you to do when you open the word of God. When you come to God's word, how should you come? Seven tips for reading the Bible. The first one is this, have a plan. Uh, I have done well on this and done poorly on this. Have a plan. When I say have a plan, uh, don't do this classic thing where, man, I don't know what I should read. God, I'm, I'm dealing with something. God, I'm just going to open the Bible and hope that you tell me. Man, speak to me today, God. Right? And you pick some random page uh, and you turn to Daniel chapter 2. After you, another kingdom will rise in fear of years. I didn't mark anything. I just literally just randomly did this myself. Right? Uh, and, and you find some random scripture and you think, well, that's God's word for me today. Can God speak to you that way? Yes, he can. Does he usually speak that way? Probably not. Um, I would much prefer for you to have a plan. Know what you're going to read. That plan could be a a topical plan. There's tons of them out there. If you have, man, there's so many technological resources now. The the Bible app, I highly recommend. It's got a million different plans in it. You can look at plans that are going to speak to you with encouragement, plans that are going to talk to you about purpose. You can find plans that are going to read you through or lead you through certain books of the Bible or sections of the Bible. Lots of different plans out there. Have a plan. My preference is to read through a book at a time, uh, and usually to read through consecutive books, uh, sections of scripture. I think I get more out of it that way. It's probably what I would generally recommend, Uh, but if you've got a different thing, man, you're really seeking God for wisdom in a specific area on a specific topic, I don't think there's anything wrong with a topical plan, uh, if that's what you want to do. But have a plan, man, where, where somehow this stuff is connected together. Secondly, and maybe the most important one on this list, and all of them on this list are important, set a time. If you don't set a time, you won't read the word, right? That's most of us. Uh, I, I know that I found that to be true in my own life. You have the best intentions. Man, you can come in here and worship God, and God speaks to you in worship, and he convicts you, and you got to spend more time in him. And, man, we, we heard a good, encouraging word from, from the word of God, and I'm going to start reading the Bible, and you leave here with every legitimate intention to read the Bible. But if you don't know when you're going to do it, you ain't going to do it. Right? Because life and the enemy are going to give you every excuse to do something else. 
a new opportunity to binge watch a show, a screaming child, right? There's going to be something that interrupts your life that gives you a reason to do something other than read the word. So pick a time. Set a time and hold firm on that time. Turn off your phone, eliminate the distractions, and set a time to get in the word. Third, don't have to do this. None of these you have to do. I don't want you to be legalistic about these things. These are just practical tips to help you get the most out of it. I would start with prayer. Before I open the word of God, I pray. God, speak to me through this thing. You ever read the word of God and felt like you got nothing out of it? Show hands. Some of you too proud to say you ever read the Bible and didn't get something out of it. All of us, if we've read the Bible, have probably at some point felt like we didn't get something out of it. Now, I've prayed before I've read the Bible and still felt like I got nothing out of it. But here's what I believe. I believe that when we pray, we're inviting the Holy Spirit into the process with us. And if you read something and you feel like you got nothing out of it, it may not have been for that moment. But now the Holy Spirit has that ammunition to bring it to your remembrance down the line, to, to bring it up. It's in your spirit, but until you put it in your spirit, he's not going to be able to bring it up. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will remind you everything Jesus said to you. Who's Jesus? He's the Word. So what's the Holy Spirit job? Is to remind me what I've already heard from Jesus. If I haven't heard it from Jesus, if I haven't gotten it from the Word, how can he ever remind me of it? He can't. So I'm giving the Holy Spirit the ability to remind me. But, man, when I pray, and when I pray before I read, I'm like, God, show me what you want me to do with this. Encourage me through this. Challenge me through this. Convict me. Help me to apply this to my life. I'm not praying for hours before I read the Bible. Usually it's going to be like 30 seconds. It's quick, but I want to invite the Holy Spirit into that process. I want to invite God to speak to me. So I start with prayer. Fourth, I would tell you to be an active reader. Uh, and what I mean by that is ask yourself questions as you're reading. Man, process it. Like re re read it out loud, perhaps, if you have trouble focusing and hearing it. But man, be, be actively engaging with the scripture. That means you got to turn off your phone. Uh, or, or put it on airplane mode, right? If you're reading on your phone, and that's the easiest thing for you. I prefer to read on, on a physical Bible. I'm just old school that way. Uh, you don't have to do that. You, you can read. There are a lot of digital formats out there. I do read sometimes on the computer. Uh, but, man, get rid of those notifications. Silence that thing because the enemy is going to find a way. Man, the, the most important Facebook debate ever is going to pop up right while you're in the middle of the Bible, I promise. Uh, it's going to take you away as quickly as it possibly can. So, so actively engage with it. Ask yourself questions. Man, what, what does this section of Scripture teach me about God? What does this section of Scripture teach me about myself? What does this section of Scripture teach me uh, about my life, right? Like, ask yourself some questions as you read. Number five, take notes. A lot of different ways you can take notes. You can underline, you can highlight, you can actually have uh, notes. I mean, sometimes I'm writing notes in the margin of my Bible. <coughs> Lots of ways you can take notes. Uh, find a way to take notes. You can, you can actually literally have a, a journal. I know a lot of people that do Bible journals and prayer journals, and I've tried and I have failed at journaling well many times. Uh, it's not something that, I, that I've ever been able to just consistently do. I need to get to that place. Find a way where, where man, you're making notes. What's God speaking to you? What's he revealing through this passage for you? Take notes. Uh, number six, I kind of included this in the active reader section, but ask questions, right? Not just while you're reading, but afterwards. 
I got something I didn't understand? Ask God. God, what were you trying to say in here? This, this verse over here just doesn't make sense. Man, this verse I, didn't sit well with me. There's going to be times in Scripture where there's going to be some things that are uncomfortable. That's okay. Man, don't, don't let that keep you from reading. Let that cause you to read a little more, to dig in a little further. Ask, ask questions. Ask questions from, from leaders in your life who can speak in, people that you trust that trust the Bible. Don't go to people who don't believe the Bible. Their advice isn't going to help you. Uh, but ask questions. Man, what, what did this thing mean? What, what, what is this talking about? I don't understand the context here. Can you enlighten me? Ask questions. Uh, there are great biblical resources online you can go to to ask questions. There are some horrible ones, too. Uh, so you've got to use some discernment and make sure that you're looking at the right thing. Um, but ask questions. Do research uh, on the stuff that you don't understand in Scripture. And number seven, stand in faith. Stand in faith. And when you read the word of God, receive it in faith. This is God's word to me. He wanted me to read this. He wanted me to have access to it. Receive that thing in faith. Remember the first thing the enemy ever did in humanity was the serpent came to Eve and he said, Did God really say? First thing the enemy ever did to, to disrupt humanity, to bring sin into the world, to cause issues and division, was he attacked their faith and what God said. When you read the Bible, you better be ready for some attack. You better be ready for the enemy to come and sow some seeds and say, hey, did God really say this? Did God really, was that really for you? And that was for, that was for back then. And there are certain things in the scripture that were just for back then. But we have to understand scripture to understand why. Man, that Jesus fulfilled those things and they were left in the Old Testament. So we got to ask questions and and study and dig into this stuff. But be ready because the enemy is going to come. He does not like it when God's people get in the word. He's going to give us every reason not to. Every reason to be distracted. Every reason to get discouraged. Every reason to give up. Every reason to do something else. And when we actually get in the word, he's going to give us every reason not to believe what we just read. So you got to be ready. You got to be prayed up. You got to choose. I'm going to stand in faith that God said this for me. Amen. Amen. We believe that the Bible is God's word to us. What a gift. What a blessing that God himself loved us enough to not leave us guessing. Man, did not hope that we could figure out our way to him. He laid it out beautifully and cleanly and explicitly for us. And the word of God is a gift. It's a blessing. Men and women died. Many of them died so that I could have access to God's word. So that it could be translated into my language. So it could be passed down to my generation. The word of God is a tremendous gift and so often we take that gift for granted and we neglect that gift so let's be people of the word amen